Hi, everybody. This is Mark Middleton along with Bill Schaefer. We're glad to have you with us for yet another edition of Growing Boulder. It's a program that will show you that it's never too late to live life to the fullest, that changes are within reach of all of us, that no matter what our situation, we can make a difference in the lives of others and in the world around us. Over the next hour, you'll hear how others found the inspiration and the courage to make it happen in their own lives, and hopefully it will light the spark that makes you realize it can happen for you too. And it's a great program too, Mark, because we'll learn that getting off the couch is not just about physical exercise. And we'll meet a best-selling author and an orthopedic surgeon from the UCF College of Medicine who believe that movement is just as important as nutrition. And we'll find out how you can take that first step down the path of health and well-being. Do you like celebrities? We'll visit with the always fascinating Tim Gunn from Project Runway, one of the top fashion experts in the country today. But first, we'll start with someone who, as the executive director of the MIT Age Lab, may know more about the true impact of the age wave than anybody. Amazing people, inspiring stories. This is Growing Boulder. We talk a lot about an entirely new life stage that has never before existed in the history of humankind. It's a life stage after what has been considered normal retirement age that actually has the potential to be longer than the number of years we spent in our careers. It's incredible. It's a new life stage being driven mostly by advances in technology and changes in health care, but mostly by lifestyle choices. It's not a guarantee to anybody. To a large degree, you have to earn it to get it. Our next guest is not only an expert on the power and potential of this new life stage, he's helping invent it. He's a game changer, a thought leader, and a trendsetter, Mark, all rolled into one. He was named by the Wall Street Journal as one of 12 pioneers inventing the future of retirement, and by Fast Company Magazine as one of the 100 most creative people in business. He's an author, a journalist, a speaker, and a consultant who has advised nonprofits, governments, and corporations worldwide. He's appeared on nearly every major national and global newscast, and now we're happy to have him on Growing Boulder. Welcome, Dr. Joseph F. Coughlin, the director of the MIT Age Lab. Hey, Doc, how are you? I am doing great. Great and fantastic to be here, guys. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for your work. You know, it seems like today uh, not only is aging uh, the best of times, but it's also the worst of times. I mean, the extremes in health and wealth uh, and desire and ambition are profound. And I'm guessing that you're a glass half full guy. You see the opportunity in aging and not just the challenge like so many others. No, absolutely. I mean, aging, if you think about it, is far better than the alternative because what it takes to be perennially young, we don't want to go there. So really, we should celebrate that this is probably the greatest achievement of humankind, living longer. But now the challenge, the opportunity, the new economy and new life ahead of us is to not just live longer, but to live better. So what did you want to do with all this? What is the overall mission of the Age Lab at MIT? Well, the Age Lab is based here in the School of Engineering, but we draw upon architecture and urban planning across engineering, and we work with schools and companies around the world to essentially reinvent what it's like to live in that stage that we used to call retirement. Now, retirement was once about just that, retiring, pulling back, relaxing, not doing very much. I want to do just some very simple math with you. Think about the following. From zero to roughly college graduation is about 8,000 days. From college graduation to what many of us would call midlife crisis is 8,000 days. I bet you're catching on. From midlife crisis to retirement age is 8,000 days. And today, the fastest growing part of the population is age 85 plus. And guess what? The time from what we typically call retirement to the end of life is another 8,000 days. So here at the Age Lab, we're trying to translate new thinking, new technology into new ways of staying mobile, staying in our home, moving if we want, finding new jobs, new careers, 
and frank providing care and yes health is an issue remaining healthy and well so that we can do all those big and little things that we call life together because 8000 days is not retirement it's an entirely new life stage Boy, what a great attitude. Uh, and folks, we're talking with uh, Dr. Joseph F. Coughlin, who's the director of the MIT Age Lab. Uh, and man, we're, we're reading from the same hymnal. Uh, we're trying to make the rest of our lives the best of our lives. But there is no question, Doc, that uh, uh, we live in an ageist culture. To what extent do you uh, think that our belief system actually informs the way we age? Unfortunately, I think that one of the greatest barriers to living better in our longer lives is the mythology around old age. In my forthcoming book, The Longevity Economy, I suggest that the reason why business and government and many of us individually have not taken advantage to cash in this longevity dividend is because we still hold on to that image that getting old, which by the way is always 15 to 20 years older than the person speaking, is a time to stop a time where we don't do anything new. We stop learning, we stop working, uh, allegedly we stop using technology. And in fact, in the words of the great uh, Yankees player Yogi Berra, you can see a lot by looking, older adults are seizing this new opportunity. There are new lifestyle leaders out there that are not just remaining mobile and healthy and well, they are starting new companies. They are volunteering with Verve. Heck, the divorce rate is the highest amongst the 50 plus. So not only is that maybe a downer, but it's also because they're starting new families and moving on. So the fact of the matter is is that that mythology of the old man or old woman not doing is not just a myth. It is a falsehood that really is taking away from the opportunity to live longer, better, and to invent new ways of doing it. Is it a mythology to think that older people don't make use of technology, don't shop online, don't know what Uber is? Is that... Is that a stereotype or is that true? It is a stereotype. And in fact, one of the things that you find that's far more uh, compelling than the number of birthdays one has achieved to, to predict their technology is education and income. This stuff is expensive. So in many cases, you see an education and income uh, bias. But the fact of the matter is the majority of people buying tablets, for instance, are men over age 57. The high-tech, high-style, high-priced vehicles that are out there, whether it's the BMWs, the Buicks, the Mercedes, the Lexuses, and the like, guess what? The average age of those buyers are well north of 55-plus, in many cases north of 60-plus. And frankly, yes, the sharing economy has become not just the new convenience, it has become the new way to provide care, whether it's having a meal delivered, a ride given, or a house cleaned. And, you know, the perfect segue, Doc, to, to my next question, because we're a couple of old TV guys who, who left local news when they shared market research with us uh, that actually showed they discontinued the interview if the person was over the age of 55, despite the fact that the average age of our viewer was 56. We've been saying for years that we are approaching the tipping point at which big business will finally understand the potential of the demographic. Are we there yet? Well, think about the following. In the United States alone, one baby boomer, those born between 1946 and 64, is turning 71 every seven to eight seconds. But if that number is not enough to compel business to get in the market, then perhaps this should. 70% of the disposable income is controlled by the 50-plus. So this is not necessarily just we should do this because it's a good thing to do for the aging population. This is real markets. So while younger people may have great numbers on their side, as of yet they do not have the lifestyle, the savings, and the income to drive markets the way this new old age is going to drive the new longevity economy. And, And at the top of the interview, we said that the life stage isn't guaranteed to anybody. Even with all these advances in technology and healthcare, that doesn't alone lead to active longevity. Is don't you feel you have to pursue an active, social, and healthy lifestyle too? Absolutely. The fact of the matter is, is that choosing your parents well is only the first part of how long and how well you will live in old age. But much like the investing in your retirement, health and wealth come together. They require an investment, not just in saving so you have funds when you're older, but also an investment in yourself and how you're eating, exercising, but also choosing where you live. You know, retiring to that fun fishing place that's hundreds of miles away from civilization was great in the middle of your midlife grind. 
may not be so good about keeping you connected in your older age or being able to access health care when you need it. So thinking about where we live, how we're going to maintain our homes, and perhaps more important than anything else, how we maintain our social connectivity to others. One of the greatest predictors of how well and how long you will live is how big that social network that we used to call friends in old age, friends around us to support us. You know, it's great you talk about the social aspect, the, the lifestyle aspect of aging, but you do, after all, uh, direct the MIT uh, Age Lab, which is primarily based upon technology. So, so, so tell us what's going on. I'm not even sure what science fiction is anymore because there's so many advances. What are some of the cool things going on out there? Are we talking about 3D food printing, robots? Well, what's got your interest lately, Doc? I think some of the things that you're going to be seeing that's exceedingly exciting is that the technology is moving so quickly that the new old man is probably going to be someone between 25 and 30 because by the time you blink, the technology has changed. As they say, there's an app for that or for almost everything. So robotics is exceedingly exciting. I want you to start thinking about the autonomous vehicles, not just about safety, but it's going to be able to provide transportation on demand and frankly before you do anything in life you've got to get there first and when you have 70 percent of the 50 plus american population living in suburbia and rural parts of the united states without access to responsive public transportation the autonomous vehicle will not just keep them safe it will keep them mobile. So we are doing work in the lab with the insurance industry, the auto industry, to push the frontier of that new technology that will likely be adopted first by older adults. Your home is going to be not just connected and smart, it's going to be talking about you. I want you to imagine your refrigerator and your toilet and your toaster all kind of sharing information about what are you eating? Should you be eating that again? Did you take your medications? And then having meals delivered or having food delivered and replenishing that refrigerator with, with a good, healthy food that you may need. Not to mention all the other things that we typically associate with aging. New systems that will remind you to take your medications to ensure that before you fall and you can't get up, that in fact, gee, your gait, that is how your walking has changed, that you're likely to fall, and that your home helps proactively come to you before uh, an event actually happens. But Retirement you- is about to change, too. I mean, the idea that saving money is only one part of retirement. We are also working with the industry to start rethinking all those big and little things that you may need to plan for in the future, even if you have money. You have such an interesting view on what's going on in life. Maybe one of the best views of anyone in the world. Is there a Joseph Coughlin takeaway about aging? Is there something that you've learned or discovered or seen that you wish we all understood? I think the biggest takeaway is that aging is not about the old. It is about all of us. And that what we really should start aiming for is the reality that we need to plan, prepare, and act upon envisioning a 100 years of quality living. So that means from age zero, we need to rethink education because we're going to be learning for a lifetime. The idea that what you learn from zero to 21 is going to last you for the next 70, 80 years is laughable, let alone serious uh, idea of how we think about education. That you're going to have multiple careers, not just multiple jobs. That we need to really rethink where we live, the design of our communities. The takeaway is that this is the greatest gift humankind has achieved, and now it's about how do we live longer and better. And for business, it's an entirely new market to be invented. And for society and families, it is a time to be cherished and to be reinvented so that we can disrupt the, today's mythology about old age being a time to say goodbye rather than a time to celebrate and live. Amen. Did we tell you he's got a big brain? And thankfully, it is focused on a better future for all of us. He is Dr. Joseph F. Coughlin, director of the MIT Age Lab, and a man who is on the front lines of changing the future of aging for all of us. You can follow his amazing work at BigThink.com, his personal blog, and, of course, at agelab.mit.edu. Thanks, Doc. Up next, what if you live so long that you run out of money? You'll hear what's happening to an increasing number of people. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... 
Located in West Orange County, Orlando Health's Health Central Hospital is a full-service hospital with a newly expanded ER as well as top-rated neurospine and orthopedic programs. Learn more at orlandohealth.com. And by The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio, preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com. Bill Schaefer and Mark Middleton here on Growing Boulder. And you know on this program, we purposely focus on what's possible as we age, on how to make the right choices now to increase the chance that the rest of our lives really can be the best of our lives. But we don't deny that for many people out there, aging's a different thing. It means loneliness, illness, and sometimes financial ruin. Yeah, nobody wants to run out of money before they run out of time. And of course, we're taught to prepare ourselves for accidents, diseases, and disability. But few of us ever think about longevity. It takes money to live a good life, and many are living longer than they expected. So what happens when the money runs out? Of course, the result can be devastating. More than 15% of older adults go to bed hungry every night, and waiting lists for programs like Meals on Wheels are now growing daily. Here's that story. Tomorrow we have chicken bread party. Six white bread, margarita cup, and pineapple Gladys Naranjo is already looking ahead to tomorrow's meal and visit from Meals on Wheels. Did you think you would live to be 85 years old? <laughs> I never think I'm 85 years old. <laughs> never. And therein lies a huge and growing problem. Men and women in every community are now outliving their money. Most, like Gladys, have also lost their spouse. They're alone and desperate for help. When her husband passed away, Gladys's total monthly income dropped to just over $700. $725. Now I for everything? For everything. You can't live on that. I, I would try. I would try. That's the reason I need help. These are the new faces of hunger. America's heartbreaking secret is that one in six older adults go to bed hungry every night. Seniors that don't know where their next meal is coming from. I'm feeling so much better now since I've been getting the meals. I'm eating, which before I might go two, three days without eating. It's not only just uh, changed my life, it's saved my life, you know, because I wouldn't have uh, you know, been as happy as I am right now without it. Dedicated Meals on Wheels volunteers prepare and deliver two hot and nutritious meals every day, addressing two of the biggest threats to seniors, malnutrition and loneliness. Their visits mean nothing less than independence. This is what they've worked for their whole lives. They deserve this. They've built memories. They've contributed to our society. They deserve to stay in their own homes. And who are we to tell them no simply because they need a little help? But that's fair. They deserve our support. They deserve our respect. While many seniors anxiously await their daily meals, visit, and safety check, there's a long and growing waiting list of others desperate for help. Literally, we're handling hundreds of calls every single day. Bobby Payne has been in a wheelchair for over 15 years. When he lost his wife, he was lost. Until the Osceola County Council on Aging, one of the many organizations supported by the Senior Resource Alliance, stepped in to help. I couldn't make it. I don't believe I really couldn't make it uh, without your help. Hello? Grateful for the help that she receives, Gladys spends her days running a prayer line, taking calls at all hours and praying for anyone needing help. Listen, the Father's God is our pastor. If you pray for him, he gave everything you needed. Please help him send somebody, bring her a food to the house. Thank you, Lord. God bless you. Thanks to help from the Senior Resource Alliance, Gladys is now able to smile about her future, even at 85 with an income of $745 a month. I love you. I love, I love you, you too. I love you. When you smile, 
you feel the whole body. More life, more life, more life, more life. Like, 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 a, little, like a little girl. <laughs> play, play around all the time. <laughs> they are some of our most vulnerable and valuable neighbors. So why do we look away? Why don't we seem to care that so many live in isolation and go to bed hungry every night? It's not that people don't care about the seniors. They don't know. But now you do. You know, the good news is that together we really can make a difference. If you'd like to help or if you're in need of help, contact the Senior Resource Alliance at SeniorResourceAlliance.org. Next, Tim Gunn's inspiring journey to national celebrity thanks to Project Runway and what he hopes to do next. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the Center for Health and Well-Being. Coming soon in Winter Park. Wellness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location. Offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingboulder.com. This is Growing Boulder with Mark and Bill. Do you like your look? Do you have a style you think fits you best? Have you changed it much over the years? Well, we've got a fee- a guy now with a feel for what works and what doesn't work. Nobody's got a better one than our next guest. Yeah, he is an Emmy Award-winning co-host and producer of Project Runway, a leading expert in fashion and lifestyle design. He's been in nearly every magazine, a number of TV shows, and yes, People Magazine has named him one of the sexiest men alive. We are thrilled to say hello to a guy who is probably one of the most well-liked people in show business, Mr. Tim Gunn. Hey, Tim, how are you? Oh, Mark and Bill, what a lovely introduction. I'm, I'm, I'm better for that. Well, you, you, are, you are a lovely guy, and it's difficult to be that in reality television, so kudos to you, and congratulations on 16 seasons of Project Runway. And this time, an interesting twist, and I know it's one you believe in quite a bit. Uh, you're featuring some, uh, some curvier models, if you will, all kinds of different body shapes. Yes, we are, and I'm so proud of that, our our models this season range in size from 2 to 22, and it just brings a, a, a level of enhancement to the show that we've never had, and it's, it's really thrilling. Well, what you've done with Project Runway is nothing short of incredible. I mean, it's, you've created a show that's got the power to open minds and really affect change. And, and we talk a lot on this program about age and how people really need to take a different look at what it's like. Do you see that with people as they age as well, this, this kind of like uh, confusion about how we should dress, what we should wear, and whether we should have fashion and style or, or kind of step away from it? Oh, I see it all the time, and and it it comes from uh, a general confusion that people have about who they are and how they should present themselves to the world, and it comes from a lot of of, uh, messages from media um, in terms of advertising and even the fashion editorial pages about what the standards of beauty should be, and and of course, we're youth-obsessed, and i believe that that's a, a great error. Um, and and even when I'm asked to comment on red carpet looks, I'm, I'm much more interested in, with, in, in looking at women who have experience in the world and maturity and, and a career to reflect upon than I am in looking at people who were ingenues, who were just starting out. I mean, who cares? I want to know. I mean, I, I look at, at someone, Helen Mirren, I'll cite, who looks fabulous all the time. She's a woman of a certain age. She has a real woman's figure. um, And she looks fantastic, whether she's on the red carpet wearing a gown or whether she's caught by the paparazzi wearing a pair of jeans and a a blazer. I mean, so I'm I'm all about experience. Whenever anyone asks me, well, 
if you could turn the clock back, would you? I wouldn't turn it back a single second because with each day on this planet, I have more experience in the world. I'm a little wiser, I hope. Um, and I, I feel more competent navigating the world. You're singing from our hymnal now. We're talking to Tim Gunn, who is an iconic fashion guru of all sorts. And, and, and Tim, uh, you know, one of the cool things about your industry is it does reward risk-taking. And we talk often to older people about as you get older, you have to embrace taking risk. Uh, and speaking of that, I mean, we've had uh, Iris Apfel, Mimi Waddell, and many others on this program who, who really seem to be fearless in the way that they present themselves. What do you think about older women who, who, who really go for it? I say bravo. Um, I, if you have the confidence to to present yourself in in a way that that may step out of, I'll call them the norms. If you have that confidence, people will believe you. People aren't going to look at you and think, "Oh, who's the circus clown?" No, they're going to think, "Who is this this person of extraordinary confidence and power?" Um, and how can I? What can I learn from this individual? Um, and, and, and what, what the takeaway should be is know who you are and feel proud to present that individual. You know, Tim, we're talking with Tim Gunn, and Tim, everybody says that. You're one of the few who says it with enthusiasm, who says it through experience. And it's not just about women. It's all of us, women and men. Look, here you are. I don't know if you talk about your age, but you're 64. And this yes, last, the last 10, 15 years of your life, at least from the outside, have been just the, the, the most incredible that anyone could hope for. Well, thank you. You're, you're lovely and generous to say that, and, and I have to agree with you. I mean, when I was chair of the, of the uh, Department of Fashion Design at, at Parsons School of Design in New York, I thought, I'm at the top of the heap. It doesn't get any better than, than this in, in, in the academic world of design. And who knew that at age 50, I would receive this blind phone call from the producers of this unknown show called Project Runway? I mean, they were looking for a consultant. And... You, I mean, I'm always talking about life's serendipitous path. You never know where it's going to take you. And I'll also add, this may sound like a non sequitur, but it's been life-changing for me. A year and a half ago, I took up fencing as a sport, and I've become this addict. I can't get enough of it. Um, and it's just been so good for my body and for my brain. It's been phenomenal. And we will so never say I'm too old. <laughs> we will look forward to some designer fencing duds uh, coming up pretty soon. You know, Tim, just so we don't give people the wrong idea, your life certainly has not been one great uh, adventure after another. Like everybody, oh, no. you, you have struggled. In fact, I've read that at some point you, you attempted suicide at one point. Is that, is that one of the reasons why you seem to be so empathetic toward others and their struggles? Oh, I'm absolutely, because I've been there. I mean, I, I can reflect upon it. Um, it was many, many decades ago, but it, but it still feels as though it was only yesterday. And, and, and it also drove home for me, and, and I think about this all the time, uh, it drove home for me the fact that life is a collaboration. We don't do anything alone. And I, when I was in those desperate, dark days, I really thought I was a solo, and I didn't need anyone, and I was just isolating myself when I was in a in a rarefied bubble, so to speak. And it required quite an extensive intervention on the part of a number of people to turn me into a, a, a healthy, positive thinking person. And I've, I think about that every day. And it's, it's what I said to my students for 29 years. It's what I say to the Project Runway designers. Life's a big collaboration. You, you don't you don't navigate the world alone. And, you know, Tim, it's the one thing that we all have in common is that we all have obstacles. We all have challenges. Yes. We all have crosses to bear. In our in our last minute or so here, let, let's, let's turn it over to you, Tim. You started on talking about takeaways. From what you've seen in your amazing life, what are the takeaways you'd really like to share with us? Well, one needs to be have an innate respect for, for oneself and for one's fellow human beings. Um, I mean, I practice the golden rule, and I don't say that in a schmaltzy way. I, I, I say it in a um, very serious way. And I also believe in taking the high road. Um, when 
you're faced with strife and consternation and you feel angry, frustrated, whatever the emotion may be, take the high road. I mean, you, you, I, I've never regretted it. It's just very, very important. It's, it's so easy to lash out and to pearl insults and to um, fight, and it's so unnecessary. Um, I would say to the faculty at Parsons, when, whenever I would hear a, a loud voice coming from a studio or a classroom, after class I would say to the instructor, you don't need to raise your voice. There's no question in any of the students' minds about who's holding the power in this room. So you, you need to be just very cognizant of your place in the world, um, how to interact with people and to do it respectfully and, and at the same time authoritatively. Um, I'm not, sometimes young people say to me, oh, well, I don't want to, want to appear to be meek. Well, you're not meek. If you are authoritative, yet in terms of the confidence with which, with, with which you speak or the um, actions that you're, you're taking, if, if you're, you're also respectful of, of the people with whom or person with whom you're interacting. So that's, that's my takeaway. We just we're in this world together. We need to respect each other and treat each other um, with kindness and and sincerity tim all the time we've been waiting to have you on the program has been well worth it you are a man of wisdom you are a man of depth just as you are a man of fashion enthusiasm and a love of life our thanks to the always interesting inspiring and yes fashionable tim gunn Up next, the doctor is in. We'll visit with the UCF College of Medicine. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the Masson Spine Institute, where world-renowned minimally invasive techniques lead to fast recovery. The Masson Spine Institute, excellence in spinal surgery. More information at masonsi.com. And by... Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble this is Growing Boulder. I'm Mark Middleton, and our next guest is an expert in reconstructive orthopedics specializing in minimally invasive robotic-assisted hip and knee surgeries, including total joint replacement and partial replacements as well. He is also an assistant professor of medicine at the prestigious UCF College of Medicine in Orlando. Let's welcome Dr. Obi Adeguema. Hey, doctor, how are you? Hey, I'm great. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Well, you know, we really appreciate you uh, spending some time with us because we get a lot of questions about this. As we get older, our knees, our hips begin to creak. To some degree, I think we've all come to accept and expect some aches and pains as normal. But at what point should we reach out to a doctor? Well, well, musculoskeletal pain and specifically joint pain is very common. We, we, we all have aches and pains throughout our lives. And when we get older, this is exacerbated. We, we have aches and pains even more. One should consider seeing a doctor if they, A, sustain some sort of injury, or B, that usual everyday ache and pain becomes out of the norm, especially when it starts to hamper their uh, activities of daily living, when they can't do the things that they want to do anymore, when they can't walk or uh, spend time with their kids or do certain activities, even play golf, that's when they should start to see a physician and at least get it diagnosed and figured out, figure out what it is that's causing these uh, symptoms. Usually these things can be managed conservatively. Just because they're going to see an orthopedic surgeon or a physician does not mean that they're going to be having surgery. Generally, in the vast majority of the times, we can manage these with conservative treatment, whether it just be uh, exercise or lifestyle changes. On some occasion, it could be just some medication. But for the for the most part, we just want to have a baseline and prevent it from getting worse. Boy, that is really a key point because as we've seen so many times, as we get older, 
uh, you, you really sometimes have to fight to maintain your mobility because as soon as you begin to lose it, if you don't recapture it, it gets harder and harder. And the next thing you know, you, you're, you're in a wheelchair. So, so when someone does come and see you, doctor, how do you make the call between replacing a joint uh, versus something less invasive, just preserving the joint and, and uh, reducing the pain? Preserving versus replacing the joint is one of the most critical decisions that uh, I make every day. Deciding between, between joint preservation and replacing is based on a, a number of factors. But first, let's define what joint preservation or, quote-unquote, saving the joint is in this case. Joint preservation means reducing the patient's pain and swelling and inflammation while maintaining his or her own native cartilage. There are means of doing this both surgically and hopefully, in the vast majority of times, non-surgically. The decision between replacement versus preserving the joint, the joint is based upon the amount of pain, the severity of the arthritis, the patient's age, the patient's activity levels, along with a few other factors. Once arthritis is present, however, joint preservation surgery is generally not effective. But we can still, even with arthritis, do non-surgical types of treatment for arthritis. And when we have arthritis, that's when we start to discuss the potential for joint replacement maybe in the future while still doing those conservative treatments like medication or lifestyle modification, exercise, things like that. When a patient with moderate to severe arthritis has pain that is reducing one's quality of life and those conservative non-surgical treatment measures have failed, then we can really start to consider joint replacement surgery. But at the end of the day, the decision for any kind of surgery is 100% the patient's decision, and no doctor or physician or myself or anyone should push a patient into it if they're not ready. Man, I love to hear that, uh, doctors that are educating patients, giving them all of the options. And, and folks, we've got to take uh, responsibility for our own health care. We're speaking with Dr. Obi Adegweme about uh, an issue that more and more people are facing, and that is pain in their joints, specifically their knees uh, and, and their hips. And, Doc, I think a lot of people have this idea that there's been such a great improvement in technology, and perhaps there has, that we have these nearly bionic joints now available. Uh, why would we not? want to put an artificial joint uh, in at this point? The advances in technology have made our artificial joints or our joint replacements so much better over time. They have made the knee or the hip feel a lot more normal like the native hip. However, they're still concerned that when replacing the joint, you're still, you're still undergoing surgery. And all surgeries, no matter how small, all surgeries have some inherent risk with them. Now, we're trained very well to avoid those risks and to do our jobs very proficiently and in an expert manner, but there is always still some sort of risk with every kind of surgery, and it doesn't matter how small there is some sort of risk that we're all prepared for. Along with that, patients like to have their own joints because it just feels, it just feels more normal. So our, our job is to keep that joint as long as possible, prevent the pain and swelling and inflammation, help them feel more normal before surgery, and then if the time comes, then we can cross that, that bridge. Also, over time, even though we've had advancements, if a patient is, let's say, 35 years old, even 40 years old, and they have some kind of uh, mild arthritis, you don't want to jump in and, and, and do surgery on them because that implant over time does have some wear, some wear, some wear over time. You use it over time, more walking, more uh, exercise and things like that. And just like any part or any kind of implant, it can wear over time. And the goal is to not have to redo or revise that surgery. And so the more that we can push this off, maybe until their 50s or into their 60s, the more that we can be reassured that this joint replacement surgery is the last one that we have to do for the rest of that patient's life. Amen. So, so if someone is in position where they actually are going to uh, have to replace a joint, uh, I'm guessing that you want them to modify their lifestyle to the extent that they can to prepare for surgery. I mean, what do people need to do to get ready if the decision has been made, we've got to replace it? If the decision is made that replacement is necessary, 
it's almost like a contract between the surgeon and the patient. And we need the patient to do their part and to work hard just, just like we need to do our part and do a very precise, very proper surgery. What we need from the patient is for them to continue to be active and try to be as mobile as possible before surgery because studies have shown that the patient's activity level before surgery will predict how active they are after surgery. And so we need that. After surgery, the other part of the contract is that we need the patient to know that we need them to work hard. And we can't just put in a new knee or a new hip and expect magic to happen. We need physical therapy to work with the patient and the patient to do some things at home in order to gain their normal range of motion, gain their normal walking pattern. And then if all of these things happen, the patient, the surgeon does their role, which we are very trained at and we are excellent at doing, then the patient does their part working with physical therapy, doing exercises at home, taking care of their hygiene. Then the results of joint placement surgery are overwhelmingly excellent, and the patient can expect to have a pain-free joint for the rest of their life. Well, that is an optimistic view. We certainly appreciate it. Let's leave it there. Folks, are you, are you hearing this once again? The responsibility is on you to modify your lifestyle, to prehabilitate, if you will, uh, when you are facing these health challenges that we will all face as we get older. It's all about maintaining our quality of life, being able to engage in the activities that we love as we age. And the good news is that the technology and with skilled surgeons and great medical care, that there are now many, many options to make that a reality. Our thanks to Dr. Obi Adegweme from the UCF College of Medicine today. Thanks, Doc. Up next, why the best medicine for our mental and physical health might be something called nutritional movement. We'll find out what that is. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the UCF College of Medicine where physicians, scientists, and teachers are discovering innovative solutions for today's medical challenges and bringing them to you. Learn more about the college's physician practice at ucfhealth.com. Subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingboulder.com slash subscribe. This is Growing Boulder. I'm Mark Middleton along with Bill Schaefer. And you know you've heard us say it many times, folks. If you want to keep moving, you have to keep (laughs) moving. It's the best medicine there is when it comes to living a life to the fullest. you got to move around, walk, exercise, just stay active. We knew it was important, but maybe we even underestimated the power of movement before we came across Katie Bowman. Really impressive person, too, Mark. She's part biochemist, part science communicator, full-time mover, and she's reaching out to all of us to explain what she means by the role of movement in a way that's more important than just exercise. And what she says is connecting, because her podcast, Katie Says, is a huge hit, and teachers are sharing her programs in nutritious movement and restorative exercise all over the world. She's written a number of best-selling books, including her latest, Dynamic Aging. Let's say hi to Katie Bowman. Katie, that's a pretty good resume there. Thank you. It sounds good when you say it out loud. Well, in, in an era where we seem to love nothing more than just to sit on the couch, what's the big deal about movement? Well, movement movement facilitates so many things. Um, you know, I think we think of exercise as keeping our musculoskeletal system healthy, your muscles and bones and your tendons, but maybe even managing your weight, but you don't really think of it as something that is influencing your cardiovascular system or the health of your skin and your nerves and your digestion. So I try to really just tie in the importance of movement to your non-exercise physiological system. 
And, and you know, Katie, I think we all get that we've got to move. Uh, we, we go to the gym. We kind of schedule some time. But you talk a lot about movement actually being part of a daily lifestyle. How, how, do, we, how do we create a movement-based lifestyle? Well, so much of our, our homes and our offices and really our lifestyle prioritizes convenience, and we tend to frame convenience as something that saves time, but I would actually highlight that convenience often saves movement. So if you go into your house, for example, you'll find everything in your kitchen arranged so that you don't have to move very much. You know, most people will put their dish cupboards very close to their dishwasher, so as they're unloading, they have to travel a very short distance. Um, We park in the closest parking spots, even if we're going to the gym to exercise. You know, we drive around and around and so we can get right up to the front door before going in to walk on a treadmill. And everything that you sit on is exactly the same height in your house, from your couches to your office chair, even to the toilets are starting to get higher towards that same height as everything that you sit in. So our knees and our hips lose that ability to travel any other distance. So I first recommend that people play around with the design of their house, you know, that instead of always plopping down into the same chair, that maybe they sit on an ottoman. And instead of slouching in their chair where the work of the torso, all of your core muscles, instead of giving their work to the back of your chair, whether it's your lazy boy or your kitchen chair or your office chair, that you scoot away from the back of the chair and let your torso work to hold itself. If you're in your kitchen every morning, the two things that you grab daily for me would be tea or coffee, that you put it up high so that you're, you know, you're reaching at least a couple times overhead so that you're using your body not only during that period of time that you've allotted for exercise, but distributing your movement more throughout the day. Yeah, instead of as little as possible, as much as possible. You know, another thing, Katie, that really attracted us to you was the title of your latest book, Dynamic Aging, because with the stereotypes out there, people say, what are you talking about? There's nothing dynamic about aging. So what do you see that others are missing? Well, I see that a lot of the things that we associate with older adults, which I call goldeners in dynamic aging, aren't really necessarily the byproducts of your chronological age, how old you are. They're more the effects of being sedentary, mostly sedentary for decades. So you're not really seeing the inevitable performance of someone who's a particular age. You're seeing the inevitable inevitable performance of someone who's been sedentary most of their life. And so I've spent years, almost 20 years, working with people who would kind of fall into that classic, oh, you're in senior fitness now. And I would have them come in and I would say, you don't need senior exercise. You need a movement-rich life. And to kind of help them maximize the amount of movement that they can have per day and then to see them incline in performance, increase in performance, start hiking long distances and walking long distances as they're getting older, which is kind of the opposite that we expect to see. And in this book, in, in a video that supports the book, you're running around with a posse of, uh, of older women, your, your co-writers, very interesting group of ladies. Uh, what have you learned from them, and how did they contribute to this? Well, they all started with me when they were in their late 60s, and a couple of them, I think, were in their early 70s. And then this is 10 years later, and they have that classic set of ailments that people tend to come with when they are coming to my center. So maybe they have been in orthotics for 30 or 40 years and they had herniated disc and had been told that they needed to have an ACL repair and maybe they had an organ prolapse and they came with all of these things. And we just worked systematically through them and to kind of help support various weaknesses throughout their body. And now 10 years later, they're septuagenarians and octogenarians, so the oldest of the group is in her 80s now, and they're climbing trees and they're hiking the national parks in the United States one after the other and going on backpacking trips with their children and grandchildren carrying, you know, a third of their weight for three or four days. And it's really a testament to they really embody this message. They said, we want to do this. And when I asked them to write this book with me, I said, you know, I can tell people till I'm blue in the face in my 40s that this 
that movement is something that is available. We're all aging, frankly. We are all aging every day, and it's available to anyone at any time, but they ran with it, you know, sometimes literally. Sounds incredible. It really is a good read for everyone. It's easy to get through, and the ideas don't just relate to the goldeners, but they relate to all of us. No matter where we are, we need to do more because mobility is independence, and and, and losing that is the beginning of losing everything. She is Katie Bowman, and she's given us a lot to think about. Movement is a lot more than exercise, so don't just be organic with your food. Do it with your body and your life as well. To learn more about her, check out her podcast at nutritiousmovement.com. Thanks so much, Katie. Well, you've met some pretty impressive people and heard some unforgettable stories on this program, so why not take a minute to think about you? What's your Growing Boulder story? What do you wish it was? Take a minute and write it down. Think about it. Craft it. And then find a way to live it. You know, it's a great point, Bill, because we are all the author of our own life story. And isn't it about time that you picked up the pen and started writing? What do you really want to do? What do you really want to be? Life is a gift. Why would you waste it just going through the motions? So take control and start living your life to the fullest. If you need any help, you'll find hundreds more stories and interviews sure to give you ideas at our website, growingbolder.com, and see what a difference it makes to surround yourself with encouragement and inspiration, because that's Growing Boulder. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting, all rights reserved. This program was recorded live at the studios of WMFE Orlando. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Jackie Carlin, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producer is Katie Widrick. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Remember, when it comes to growing bolder, it's not about age. It's about attitude. Oh